Welcome to Capital Class. I'm Adam Geary. We founded Capital Class to share candid conversations with market-leading businesses while humanizing the journey of constructing an enterprise. The world of finance, specifically investment into companies, is a small universe of highly technical players. To many of the terms private equity, venture capital, and angel investors are often heard as the cornerstone of the investment world. However, unless you commit to diving into this unique world of finance, these groups tend to be out of reach and misunderstood. In today's class, we ask the question, what is venture capital? How important is private investment in the global ecosystem of entrepreneurs? What is a unicorn? And are we at an inflection point for an improved model of investment? To answer these questions, we are joined by our guest, Alex Lazarow, venture capitalist and author of Out Innovate, how global entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit are rewriting the rules of Silicon Valley. Alex explains how American venture capitalists can be traced back to whaling boats in Massachusetts, why unicorns should be swapped for camels, and his big predictions for future growth and investment in global entrepreneurs. We pose these questions and many more in today's episode of Capital Class. We hope you enjoy. Today we have Alex Lazarow, venture capitalist, adjunct professor, contributor to Forbes, producer of 99% Tech Newsletter, which is where I met you, and author of Out Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit are rewriting the rules of Silicon Valley. Alex, thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. Let me start with this. I love the book. Many of the texts that cover this topic are somewhere between manuals or brag books. I I found this to be absolutely enlightening. And it's now kind of, in my eyes, on par with Venture Deals by Brad Feld as a must-read for new innovators and, I should say, potential investors. Uh, well, that's awesome. And a uh, huge compliment. Brad Feld's book is, is one of my favorites. And, um, and in, in some ways, the reason I wrote the book um, is a similar need. Um, when I was, uh, outside, you know, so outside of work, I've been teaching entrepreneurship at the Middlebury Institute. And uh, I always wanted something to assign my students about how to do uh, term sheets and financial statements and whatever it is. And Venture Deals was that book for that. But similarly, I always felt like I wanted to share lessons and best practices on how best tech is built all over the world and ecosystems that just look different than Silicon Valley that have less capital and less resources and less um, depth of an ecosystem and might face more macroeconomic shocks and everything that I shared with my students. And, and frankly, the same is true for the entrepreneurs I was backing all over the world when I want to share some, some, some news. I invariably felt like I had to contextualize it to the reality building in startups that look different. And I think that the best entrepreneurs operating in Detroit or Amsterdam or Bangalore or Nairobi have more in common with the best entrepreneurs operating in Sao Paulo than they do with those in San Francisco. And, and yet no one is telling their stories. And so I decided I would. I interviewed about 200 entre- entrepreneurs, mostly folks leading some of the largest and most successful startups operating all over the world. And I think that taken together, their lessons not only challenge our conventional wisdoms, I think they reinvent startup best practice in some meaningful ways. I mean, I, I'll absolutely well said. And I would add that it feels as if 
because of the lack of resources, because of the lack of an ecosystem, it creates a resilience, almost a ruggedness among seasoned entrepreneurs that by the time their product gets to market, by the time their, their invention kind of is at the point where it's ready to roll, it's, it's really well thought out. It's really well founded in the research and frankly has a higher chance of success. Um, I, I agree. If, if I was going to take one step back on the book across some of the lessons in it, I'd say one of the major themes is adversity is turned into an advantage. So yeah. it's obviously much harder to build a startup in ecosystem with less capital or less depth of train, been there, done that startup human capital or whatever it is. But if you power through and find a solution on the other end, you end up having a stronger, more resilient, more sustainable, more long-term business. Um, and that translates itself into how they build their business model, how they build their teams, how they build their ecosystem at the same time, and so many other dimensions as well. So I, I totally agree with that analysis. Fascinating. I'll tell you that one of my favorite parts about our time together is that you're in a field that few could describe, let alone engage, and you make it feel very approachable. How, how'd you get started in venture capital? Um, I, totally accidentally, um, in the sense that when I, uh, when I was an undergrad, I thought I was going to do a PhD in developmental, developmental economics. So I've always been interested in questions of impact with a vector around tech. Um, I ended up deciding I would get some work experience first. I ended up doing investment banking. Um, and I discovered I love the tool of finance. I wasn't uh, sold on selling big Canadian insurance companies. So I ended up doing my MBA instead. And this was during the time that uh, microfinance uh, was scaling and impact investing was nascent. And uh, decided I wanted to do that. I, um, I I had an opportunity to work at a fund for a while, um, and, and actually uh, during my summer, and, and discovered I had no discernible skills. Um, and so I decided before going into investing, I would um, uh, try to get closer to operations and serving entrepreneurs. And so I accepted an offer to go work in consulting uh, for a couple of years in Europe and mostly across many emerging markets. Um, and actually deferred that to work. Um, at, at the Central Bank of Canada, a lot of the industries I care a lot about are highly regulated. And, um, uh, and, and so understanding that perspective was interesting. So worked on both of those. And, and in 2013, I had an opportunity to join uh, Omidyar Network, which is the impact fund, family office, uh, philanthropy of Pierre and Pam Omidyar, uh, as they were launching a new financial inclusion fund and worked there for a while. And then just joined my, my current employer, Cathay, um, uh, for the last uh, two and a half years. In your interview with Pursuit of Scale, you discussed the evolution of VC, specifically around the incongruence between capital returns and company growth. And I think for layman's terms, these companies that are invested in have to create a return in a very defined period of time, generally 10 years. And they're having to live on that life cycle when maybe their company doesn't, doesn't fit that time cycle or almost following it might be detrimental. How, how have you seen the evolution of VC and what What's your view of that? Yeah, well, so I, I often ask my students, where, where do you think the venture capital model came from? And uh, they'll often say, or guess, um, probably came from Silicon Valley. Like, that's, that's probably where it came from. And the reality is the roots are much older, right? So quick, quick aside on the history lesson, just Please. to, I, I think, paint, paint, paint a picture of where it might be going. Um, the roots are of the whaling industry. And um, the whaling industry was dominated by one country, the United States, which had about 70% market share. And among that, one city, one town had 70% of the American market share. That town was New Bedford. 
And the reason they did wasn't because they had a better harbor or better boats or whatever. It was purely because they figured out a financing structure to manage a portfolio of high-risk, high-reward ventures. Many of the boats would go out. Some of them would not come back. Some of them would pay off big. Some of them wouldn't catch any whales. Um, and so merchants are modern-day venture capitalists, aggregated capital, built a portfolio, funded captains. The captains got a share in the profits, and they got a crew. The crew um, uh, got paid based on what they, uh, what they uh, caught. And so um, that model uh, influenced how we, we do venture capital. And the reason VCs are called carry, uh, get carried interest as part of their compensation, that used to be literally what you carried off the boat. So that's the history. That model was adapted very successfully to Silicon Valley and the Silicon Valley style of company. But what's happened, right? Today, there are 480 startup ecosystems around the world. There's over a million venture-backed startups. The movement has truly globalized. But not only has it globalized, it also has become more varied. And there are certain companies all over the world that will look a certain way, but there's a whole range of different ways on how long uh, time it'll take, what the risk is going to be, um, how fast they want to grow, et cetera. And uh, you know, it's one, one of the entrepreneurs I had interviewed, a guy called Eric Herzman, who's been really a, a developer of the startup ecosystem in Nairobi, said, you got to make sure the tail doesn't wag the dog. And I think that's what needs to happen is... If VC is the only model of funding startups around the world, then startups will build their strategy to fit to that model because they need capital. But it should be the other way around where capital is in service to the strategy. And so I think what we're going to see is a proliferation of capital models for uh, startups around the world that solves the ver variety of needs and forms that they will take. And so a couple areas that I think are interesting. The first is how you might structure the product. If you say the whaling industry gave us preferred equity, which is the, the traditional way of investing in uh, private companies uh, and startups, uh, you might look to another industry, the mining industry, and say, well, maybe their model of royalties is an interesting alternative as well. And that might give us something like revenue shares, which are on the rise around the world. Um, you might also see an evolution of who's doing the investing. Um, it might not just be pure VCs. We're seeing the rise of corporate investors or impact investors, like what I was doing before. Um, and we might also see an evolution in the fund structure. Um, you alluded to it, right, of the 10-year fund. That works great within an ecosystem that has a lot of exit opportunities. But in many markets around the world, it's harder to exit and thus hold times are longer. And so people are experimenting with longer-dated funds and evergreens and things like that. So I think that's how the world will evolve is we're going to see proliferation of styles and models for a proliferation of types of companies that need different solutions that are more germane to their particular situation. And I love that. I feel on the receiving end of many of these companies, both as an investor and in my role as strategist, we see companies that are essentially looking for the next round, right? So there, it feels as if they're in business for the round, right? It's, it's, I need to be in certain flagship school districts. I'm not worried about making money because I'm more focused around saying I'm there so that I can make a better raise. And it, it feels as if had the investor, or I should say better, had the CEO before they had brought out equity in the very early days considered options of debt or considered options of bootstrapping, they may be in a much better position financially and, and to frankly scale that business without having the looming requests of their VCs and, and also without the pressure of knowing that one day they have to either get up or get out. 
in the book, I have this uh, this concept that 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 talks to this point around building camels instead of unicorns. Um, in Silicon Valley, um, I, I, I joke that people are just chasing unicorns. Um, the unicorn is uh, uh, is a concept that specifically means a company that's worth over a billion dollars. But when I use it, I'm talking more about the underlying philosophy on how to build a startup, which is focused on uh, growth and growth at any cost. And in that philosophy, it's okay to have unsustainable unit economics in service of growth, or have an unsustainable burn in service of growth, or take a short-term vision in service of growth. And I think that works well in a very narrow ecosystem where there's a lot of capital, a lot of exit opportunities, um, and a culture that accepts that style of business building. For for most of the world and for most businesses, that approach is not uh, not practical, but also not applicable. Right. And uh, I believe that the best entrepreneurs are taking a different philosophical approach, and that's the one of the the camel. Um, everyone in in the valley has an animal, so I decided I had to have one too. So that's why <laughs> that, that's why we have the camel. But 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 you know why, why the camel? Right? It's it's an animal that can sprint across the desert. It can drink water faster than any other animal on the planet. It can take advantage of time when times are good, but it can also survive in the world's harshest environments, no matter the condition. And that model is a business that will have sustainable unit economics from the get-go, can manage burn, can take a long-term approach. Um, and what we actually see a lot of the times is, is some camels have profitability within reach. doesn't mean they don't want venture capital. It doesn't mean they don't want to grow. Many of them are taking a rapid growth, growth philosophy. They, uh, many of them are using venture capital, but they're doing it for a specific purpose. It isn't the, it isn't the business model by default that they need venture capital. They're building a business and they can turbocharge it when they need it with VC or other types of financing as well. Um, and so that's this notion of building camels. I think we're seeing more and more of that. And by the way, I think that this is a really great example of Growing up in an ecosystem of adversity forces you to make strategic decisions. The outcome is building a camel, and the camel is actually, I believe, a more resilient uh, business that has more longevity. I love it. Do you feel the SoftBank, WeWork, uh, I'd say all the that kind of entire situation um, as it relates to Uber as well, where where there was just so much money flowing into the organizations and it masked some of the underlying parts of the company. You think that that's been a shot across the bow? Not that Uber isn't valuable. It is. And it's such a, it's, it's certainly convenience, but I mean, I think maybe more so the WeWork scenario. Do you think that's kind of opened investors eyes that companies should have a realistic ability to make profit and that there should be some expectation that these things could exist without VC? I do, and I hope it continue to does. I um, I started this book in a very different time. I was um, in some ways frustrated what with what was this conventionalism on how you had to build startups and, and scale them, and uh, no one really taking the other view. Um, and you know, obviously, the book has now come out during COVID um, after the failed IPOs of, uh, of, of of companies like WeWork, and um, I, I think that the world is coming around and saying, "Hey, look, like." in this more turbulent future where we don't know what is going to happen, it actually makes a lot of sense to be based on a foundation of sustainability and resilience. And so I think we're seeing, um, seeing that becoming best practice, not in emerging markets or emerging startup ecosystems, but everywhere. The challenge is that in the Valley, 
if you say, hey, look, I want some examples on how to do this, there aren't that many really great examples in Silicon Valley. Um, but the upshot is that if you look outside the Valley and around the world, it is the de facto best practice. And you see it day in and day out. And so I think we're now seeing these models of innovation coming from, from all over the world as an opportunity to learn from uh, learn from, and, and what they can teach us. All right, let me get some get you out of here on some big predictions. What countries? Okay. What countries should we be on the lookout for? Where, where, where do you think that there's just innovation that it's about to just explode? So, before I tell you a specific country, let me give you one data point, which is fascinating. Okay. Ten years ago, four startup ecosystems created all billion dollar businesses. Today, eighty five startup ecosystems have created a billion dollar business. So, it is no longer the story of a very few startup ecosystems owning the whole show. Um, today, ecosystems around the world are building some of the greatest startups um, there is. And I think that that is going to continue happening. So I don't believe it's going to be the story of one or two or three ecosystems. I think we're going to see this movement continue to globalize. Um, that being said, I'm very excited about what's happening in uh, Bangalore, for instance. So India has had a very strong startup ecosystem for a while, but is now giving rise to global players that are becoming, that are not just inspiring a generation of other emerging market players and replicators elsewhere, but are also, you know, and I would, t- I would give the example of Udon, uh, the small business enabler, but there's also scaling across markets like Freshworks. Is. So I think I'm seeing that in, in India. I'm seeing some incredible companies coming out of Southeast Asia. A lot of them are based in Singapore. Um, but I, I think that we can't ignore what's happening in Brazil and Sao Paulo or in Dubai and, and, and the Middle East region. Um, and so we're, we're seeing some exciting innovation happening in many different startup ecosystems, um, but some of whom are becoming power hubs for sure. And what, along those lines, what sectors interest you the most? So one of the, one of the things that I think is exciting that's been happening outside of the Valley is that the sectors entrepreneurs are choosing to target look different. Um, in the Valley, we have this notion of disruption. You're either disrupting or you're disrupted and, uh, and using software as the tool and the weapon. But in many emerging startup ecosystems, um, founders are often creators. They're creating industries and they're doing it to fill big market gaps. And they're offering solutions for the mass market, not the top of the pyramid. Um, in the Valley, less than 20% of startups are in industries like healthcare, financial services, agriculture, climate change. In emerging startup ecosystems and emerging markets, particularly, the numbers are flipped. And in sub-Saharan Africa, Africa, for instance, it's over 60%. And so the things that I'm most excited about are these opportunities that are um, at the nexus of a massive societal gap or problem where technological and business model innovation together can give us a chance at solving it in a way that we couldn't before. Um, and so for me, it's fintech, healthcare, um, education, climate change, things like that, where we not only have a big opportunities, but we really crucially need innovative solutions to get us through the future. Um, and so that's where I'm spending a lot of my time and where I think there's going to be some really big opportunities. And I couldn't agree more. And I'll say that as an investor and a consultant in the education and tech market, I feel as if I'm learning more and more, even from the book, obviously, and from this discussion, we're really focused on a small cross-section of investors and opportunities and that it would behoove all of us to kind of broaden our horizons and look to places like Bangalore, look to places like Africa, uh, as those are innovation hubs that should not be over, that should be passed over. And by the way, in the education space, 
just to um, just just put a, a a point on it. Um, obviously, the edtech space is on the rise in the U.S., but the biggest startup, the biggest innovator globally in edtech, isn't in the U.S. It isn't in China. It's in India. It's Baiju. Um, and so I think it it behooves us to take a global lens to understand what's happening in different ecosystems because it's not only that big companies are coming from there. In many cases, it's the biggest companies that are coming from these emerging startup ecosystems. And so we need to know what's happening and what makes them tick and why they're succeeding. Alex, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining the show. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter at alexlazaro.com, A-L-E-X-L-A-Z-A-R-O-W, or uh, follow me on Twitter at Alex Lazaro. And if you're interested in the book, Out Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit Are Rewriting the Rules of Silicon Valley. Um, you can buy it, of course, anywhere where books are sold, like Amazon. But in these COVID times, I'd uh, encourage you to buy it from your local uh, bookstore uh, or small business. Um, but thank you again for having me. This was a lot of fun. Alex, it was our pleasure. Again, Alex Lazaro, venture capitalist and author of Out Innovate. Alex, thanks again. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our second class with Alex Lazaro. If you'd like to learn more about our guest, Alex, check out his book, Out Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit are rewriting the rules of Silicon Valley. Available at Amazon or any high-quality book provider. And if you have an idea for our next class, please email me directly at adam.geary at gmail.com. You've been listening to Capital Class, Adventure with the Strategist Podcast Network. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed. <laughs>